Love Talk Radio. Welcome to the Hypno Dojo, a place of learning for practitioners and students of hypnotherapy. Get your black belts in all things hypnotherapy as we whip into shape your mindset, mastery, and marketing. Relax, enjoy, learn. Here's your sensei, Linda Campbell. Hi, welcome to the Hypno Dojo. I am so excited about today's episode. Uh, This is the first time ever on the Hypno Dojo, and it won't be the last, where I am interviewing another person. Uh, So it's not just me trying to fill the air for half an hour. I only have to fill part of the air. I have Eshu Martin on the line with me. He is a Zen priest. He's been a Zen priest for nearly 20 years and has been abbot at the Zen West Buddhist Society since 2004. He's also the spiritual health coordinator for Victoria Hospice, and he is one of my hypnotherapy students who's about to graduate. He has offices in Langford, Souk, and Victoria, and I could not give a higher recommendation. I'm going to give him a chance at the end of the interview to plug himself a little bit uh, because I'm sure there are many things you're going to learn in this interview, but he's got so much to offer aside from just what we're going to be talking about. So the topic today is how to help somebody who is grieving. I did an episode last week talking about some of the things that I do with a client who's grieving, uh, but I thought it would be great to talk to somebody who's got so much more experience in this than I do and to pick, pick his brain a little bit, particularly that now that he's got this crossover between helping people with grieving through hospice and through his spiritual work and also the hypnotherapy end of things. So welcome to the show, Eshu. Thanks for having me, Linda. I really appreciate oh, being invited. <laughs> it's so good to have you here. I'm so excited. I probably won't be able to like contain myself. Okay. Uh, where do we want to begin? We were talking a little bit earlier about the difference between bereavement and grief and grief and depression. Do you mind sort of defining these or talking a bit about what the differences are? Well, yeah, I think one of the big um, challenges is when we're talking about uh, grief, uh, it can really get uh, stuck or, or fixated on bereavement when we have the death of somebody that we care about. But we can be grieving for all kinds of things that have nothing to do with that. I mean, losses of jobs or uh, giving up dreams or um, disappointments in relationships or the ending of relationships, all of those things are sources of deep and uh, potent grief that aren't uh, often thought about sometimes when we talk about grieving. Um, And they can have a huge impact on how we're perceiving the value of our lives even without us even being aware of that's going on. Oh, they just lost their job or, oh, it's a breakup. But this can have a really deep uh, impact and can go back to a sort of link up with previous experiences of grief or loss that make the whole experience really uh, uh, powerful. Right. Uh, It's interesting you say that because I attended a workshop a while back where the facilitator was talking about how pretty much everything somebody comes to therapy for is really some form of a loss, 
whether it's, you know, the loss of the comfort of the womb, some kind of birthing trauma, or, you know, you're at home with mom for those first few years of your life, and then you lose the comfort and safety of home when you're kind of (laughs) shunted off to school, or the birth of a sibling coming along is the loss of the attention being focused primarily on you, that when we look at pretty much all of the things that people are struggling with, it, it tends to point back to some kind of loss loss of innocence, loss of a dream, loss of a position. So I appreciate this differentiation between grief, which can encompass so many different types of losses, and bereavement, the loss of a person. Now, how about grief and depression? Well, this is one of the things that I often find in in speaking with people is that um, our culture, our society is so uncomfortable with uh, sadness, grief, uh, uh, mourning, all of those kinds of things that we tend to sort of pathologize things that can be totally normal. So uh, sometimes I'll have people coming in and talking to me about, you know, they're feeling, they feel that they're depressed. And so I start to ask, you know, so what's going on in your life or, you know, what, what are you experiencing right now that you're describing as depression? And a person can describe anything from the loss of a loved one who's died to loss of a job to moving to transitions. And so one of the first things I need to do is really normalize the emotions that they're having. They're trying to sort of wonder why that they're not happy or wonder why they're not being optimistic right now when they're actually having really negative difficult stuff going on in their life and you have to sort of contextualize for them like this isn't depression this is a normal (laughs) human emotion when you're dealing with this kind of loss or this kind of transition or this kind of difficulty yes yeah i find myself doing that with clients a lot just kind of acting as a mirror and reflecting back to them you know this is a normal response given the circumstances that you're in you know somebody going through a breakup or losing a job or or dealing with a sick spouse and they come in and they've got anxiety or they're worrying about things or they're not sleeping as well and they're concerned that they're with them so to speak and, you know, I'm often kind of saying, well, yeah, have a look at what you're experiencing. Probably anybody, most people in this type of situation experience one or a combination of what you've got going on. And I think that's really important for people to hear, that there's nothing wrong with their response that is expected. It's a common response. Yeah, absolutely. And, in fact, that it indicates a normal human heart that's functioning just as it ought to, right? Like um, so much of uh, grief is uh, uh, the challenge of grief and bereavement is around really um, not because our culture is so um, uh, uh, avoidant of difficult emotion, avoidant of seeing people who are crying or in difficulty and distress because we try to push that away, people don't know what normal is. So, you know, people will say things like, oh, you know, my wife died. It's been three months. You know, I should be able to pull myself together and get on with life. It's like, oh, you know, actually, you've been married for 40 years. Two months is not, not necessarily an adequate grieving time. So you shouldn't feel like you have some kind of expectation to, return to business as usual after any given period of time, you know, and that's, 
that this grief is going to keep coming around and we're going to have to keep processing it for the rest of our lives. Right. When you, we talked after my father died briefly and you described um, grief to me as an orbit. You said it just keeps kind of coming back, circling back around. It'll move away and then it'll come back in. Uh, Can you talk about that a little bit more? You hear so much about these different stages of grief, you know, these stages you're supposed to kind of go through systematically. And I really like this idea of it being an orbit as opposed to this series of kind of Depths that we're supposed to experience. I'd like I'd like you to share right. more about that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the stages of grief were really established from uh, Elizabeth Kubler Ross's sort of perspective on on um, death and death and dying and bereavement. And um, I think a lot of people who have worked in bereavement have found that they're um, they're they're good categories for understanding some of the stages of grief that a person can go through. But just, for example, like when we're talking in hypnosis about the different states of consciousness, um, it can be a mistake to think that they're sort of rigidly bound into these sort of like strips and you're all in one or you're all in the other. They're totally fluid. They don't necessarily travel in any particular order. And it isn't necessarily that like once you've passed through them like into acceptance that, you know, good, you're, you know, you dust off your hands and you're done grieving. In fact, it's, totally not like that. And so one of the models that's been proposed is this sort of orbital uh, model for grief. And it's uh, in my own experience and my experience in working with uh, patients and families and clients, it's much more accurate, you know, in the sense that there are times when in your life where that grief or that experience, the memory of that experience is going to be very close and you're going to be feeling it as if it just happened. And maybe it did just happen but maybe it's 10 years afterwards and suddenly you hear a song or you have a a type of food or you have a smell and it just, it will immediately take you back. And that grief is again, very close. And each time that it orbits, it's going to be slightly different. And sometimes that orbit is going to be a little bit further out. And sometimes it's going to be a little bit closer in and there's going to be different facets to it. You're going to see a different, perspective or a different side on a situation that you've you've reviewed or reflected on so many times because you're changing all the time. Another great metaphor one of my Zen teachers uses is that of compost, you know, like a death or a grief of any kind, a loss of any kind is just like something really big, a big chunk that you're going to throw into your compost. And with all of the other material in your life, that that starts to be processed. It starts to break it down, and it gets buried. And so with all of the other things in your life going on, that big chunk will travel down to the bottom of your compost heap. But as you go through life, you're always stirring that thing up. And once in a while, it'll come to the surface, and it's going to be changed a little bit. And it might be shrunk. It might have broken down a little bit. It might have been processed a little bit. But the idea that, you know, once you throw it into the compost heap and bury it, it's going to disappear, like, that's, that's nonsense. It doesn't work that way. And our job is to just keep, keep going and keep allowing that thing to be processed and keep being willing to turn it over and checking it out and making sure that it is sort of breaking down. And as it does, that becomes the, the fertilizer. That becomes the, the sort of soil that nourishes a healthy uh, internal life. 
I like that analogy. That's really good. Um, when you were talking earlier about the orbital, orbital nature of grief, I was reminded of a client of mine uh, who had had a miscarriage um, earlier on in her life, and she came to see me about 10 years later because a friend of hers had gotten pregnant, and she thought she had dealt with her miscarriage, uh, but she found herself re-experiencing grief when her friend was starting to experience, you know, all the excitement and joy of planning her shower or baby shower, that sort of thing. And we worked on it at that time. And then five years later, she came back to me to work on birthing. She had gotten pregnant again. But one of the major pieces that we were working on was her grieving the original miscarriage. Again, it kind of looped back around. So when you talk about, you know, you hear a certain song or you smell a certain food, there can be all kinds of things that re-trigger some old experience that we long thought we had processed. So I, I really like that idea of looking at, you know, the the things that might trigger you and helping a person to to accept that this may be an ongoing process and, you know, should it arise again, there are things that we can do about it to move you through this phase of it and into the next one. Now you Absolutely. have, yeah, you, sorry, I, I think we're on a bit of a leg, so if I keep cutting you off, I apologize. Uh, you now have pretty much completed the hypnotherapy course, and I'm curious, this show is geared towards people who have hypnotherapy training or practices, and I'm curious what kind of ideas you would have for somebody who's a hypnotherapist to help people either deal with bereavement or grief with your background. Well, I think a huge part of it is is, is really um, one of the ways that we can be most helpful is by dealing with um, the things that aren't necessarily related to the specific grief that we're experiencing in the moment, but are adding to the load, so to speak. So just like when we talk about um, an initial sensitizing event and it sort of moves out and branches into all kinds of things, right? Uh, it moves into different, it can, it can be many symptoms along at the other side of it. I think that my suspicion is like just in the same way, Similar um, traumas, griefs, uh, issues, um, they all get strung together both directions. So just like we were taught, you were talking about a moment ago, when I'm experiencing something that puts me into grief in this moment, all of the other moments of grief that I've experienced in my life can get brought into this. So we know that if somebody has a, a multiple deaths over a short period of time, each one gets successively harder to deal with because they're sort of compounding the grief, right? And so right. sometimes if a person is in a specific grief, like right now I've lost a parent, I'm actually not just feeling the grief of losing my parent. I'm, I'm feeling the grief of losing my parent and losing a job and losing a relationship and all of the little losses that I've had all over, all over in my life. And so one of the things that you can do to actually alleviate the grief around the parents' loss is to begin to address some of the unprocessed stuff about some of these other losses that aren't so sensitive, that aren't so hot right in the moment, right? So what you're doing is actually turning the volume down on the, the, the primary source of grief in the moment by addressing some of this sort of peripheral and unprocessed grief. Does that make sense? It sounds like you're suggesting that a current 
situation that is creating grief is going Mm -hmm. to trigger unprocessed past experiences and make the grief even greater. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's like all of the unprocessed grief gets poured into the grief tank that's being activated right now, right? Right. It's like um, if, if if you're, you know, not being listened to by your boyfriend at home, and right. you're not being listened to by your employer at work. And then you go to the coffee shop and you make a very specific order and the person behind the counter doesn't give you what you asked for specifically. All of that not being listened to suddenly becomes this huge thing that the, the guy behind the counter is going to get the brunt of, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking actually when you were talking about anger, you know, often I get clients who come in and they're, they've got these kind of hair trigger responses to people or situations in their environment, but when you unpeel it a little bit, it's really not about what's currently going on. There may have been a situation where they were a kid and they were disempowered up for themselves, or maybe they were up against somebody, you know, who was in a position of authority that they couldn't, you know, fight back against, and so they had to sort of shove all of that anger or frustration down inside themselves, and now it's looking for an avenue to come out. So, yeah, the guy at the coffee shop gets an earload instead of, you know, who it was originally intended for. So oftentimes what I'm doing is helping people locate, like, who is the the actual source of what you're experiencing and how can we do a process to help alleviate that anger so that it's not coming out in unrelated situations. So it sounds like you're describing a similar thing here where old old experiences of loss that have not been processed kind of get shoved down inside the system and now you're going through another loss and all of those old losses get activated or get get come to the surface again right and so and so sometimes it's really difficult and really inappropriate to be you know if someone comes to your to your office and and they're you know have a recent death and they're like i really need to deal with this grief um my first instinct is not to eliminate grief because that's actually a very natural process. But if what I'm seeing or what they're experiencing is this sort of like debilitating grief, the chances are actually it's not just the load from this particular loss that they're experiencing. And in a lot of ways, this particular loss is too hot. It's too recent. It's too fresh for you to be trying to diminish or eliminate its impact. And you don't need to. What you really, what I would really focus on is focusing on the the unprocessed things uh, that have caused grief or loss in the person's life, and addressing those things. They're cool and they're ready to. It's like they're jumping in and saying, "Yeah, deal with me too, right? This is where all this sort of right. load is coming from. Deal with me too." Um, and so you can actually help the person to create more space to diminish the impact of the total grief load by beginning to address some of the sort of peripheral older losses and, and allowing them to have the space to allow the healing, the natural grief that's relevant to the time to be processed in this, in this time. Does that make yeah. sense? It does. I really love One that the, idea, um, particularly what you said about not eliminating grief because that's natural. Yeah, you know, I think so many people that I see in therapy what has happened is they, whether it's grief or any emotion that feels uncomfortable, 
we don't like to feel something uncomfortable. So we try to cover it up. We try to, you know, self-medicate it away. We try to deny it. Uh, and that's where a lot of our problems stem from. I, you know, I work with people who are addicted to something because they couldn't feel what they were feeling at the time, so they tried to feel something different by covering it up with, you know, fill in the blank, whatever, self-medication, whatever drug, whatever behavior. So allowing people space and freedom to actually feel what it is they're feeling without a distraction, without trying to cover it up and make it easier on them by processing those other losses so they're not contributing to the load, as you called it. I, I really like that idea, right. to, you know, because people do want to come in and not feel what it is they're feeling. And I'm loath <laughs> to do that kind of work with somebody because they're just going to end up back here another five years down the road with that right. old grief now, you know, squirting out in other directions, rising to the surface right. because no longer keep it contained. Right. Right. So how would you yeah, this, do that I mean, with somebody? How do you get them to identify those other losses that may be contributing? What ideas do you have there? Well, I think a, a big part of it is even even a, a, in consultation or an interview, talking to them, just asking them about what are some of the other losses that they have experienced. You know, what are some of the other things that have been have created a similar feeling or felt like this before? And and particularly if a person is actively experiencing grief, it's very much, I mean, we know that any strong emotional state can provoke an altered state of consciousness, right? And so if a person is actively in grief, they're, they're, they're connected almost like an affect bridge to all of the other places where that grief is coming from. So even just by asking them, you're directing them directly to it. And just by observing how the client is responding, you can see actually where the strongest ones are, and you can you can just begin to address and process those ones that are sort of the low-hanging fruit one by one. And with each one, you're actually lightening the total load, and with each one, you're creating more space for the one that's that's most relevant right now. Right. As you were speaking before you had said it, I started writing down affect bridge. Um, so getting people to you know focus on that feeling that they're having and trace back. And like you say, they're already in a hypnotic state. If they're coming to you talking about grief, they're in an emotional space, probably in an overwhelmed space as well. So having them connect with that feeling and sort of trace back, where else in your life have you felt a similar feeling so that you can get a sense of what's still active in their in their consciousness, in their psyche? Now, right. you also right. work with people at the end of life, and I'm wondering mm -hmm. what kinds of ideas you might have for uh, working with people who, to, have a, to have a good death, to be prepared for, for end of life. <laughs> Yeah, lots of meditation and hypnotherapy before you ever have a terminal diagnosis. I mean, <laughs> one of the big things yeah. that I'm always, I'm always um, just really aware of, one of the things that really came up is um, there's a phrase in palliative care called total pain. And this is a, a, a phrase that refers to the complete load of pain that comes from both the, the, the progression of disease and its symptoms, as well as the existential pain, the emotional pain, the relationship pain that's all um, under, underlying that. It's sort of underneath the physical pain. And so 
what I think is really important is developing tools through a person's life to address the underlying pains, learning communication and relationship skills so that you can, you can clarify and have healthy and resolved familial and interpersonal relationships in your life. Uh, having spiritual tools, whether that's through meditation or prayer or uh, uh, trance or exploration of any kind, so that you have those tools in place so that you're exploring those things and re- resolving questions around that. Uh, thinking about you know, meaning and connection and purpose in your life. Because what often happens is we don't address those things. We have big fights with people and we say, I'll get around to that later. Um, We have questions about what it is that we're doing and we say, well, the money's good, so I don't need to worry about what's going on inside me right now. Um, And, you know, spiritually, you know, not a big deal right now. I'm just trying to get my next vacation to Las Vegas or whatever. But then, and we think that we always have more time to deal with those internal questions, those interpersonal relationships, those problems later. But the reality is everybody thinks that, but we all die, right? We all eventually end up facing our death. And at that point, um, there's this race, right, between all of the stuff that we've put off until later and how much time we actually have between uh, having a diagnosis and dying. And in that space, our faculties to address those things are diminishing. So... um, uh, total pain. So what, what happens is that, you know, I've had many conversations with doctors where they will say things like, I can give them more drugs, but it's not going, the drugs can't touch where this pain is because the pain is existential. The pain is relationship pain. The pain is familial pain. So um, working with people in palliative care, um, particularly now that I'm trained as a hypnotherapist, is really about how much a person or how much capacity a person has to begin to address some of these unresolved and unaddressed things that are suddenly pushed into priority because of the urgency of their end of life. So the people that I see having the best deaths are the people who have not put so much off until later. You know, it's like if you have a relationship issue with somebody it's really best to address that. If you have an unresolved trauma or, or issue, it's really best to begin to address those things while you're young and healthy. Um, and in the situations where I've seen people who have, who have taken that responsibility for their spiritual well-being, for their emotional well-being, for their relationship well-being, the end of life can actually be a very peaceful, uh, even beautiful a time of reflection and um, appreciation and gratitude. And when a person comes in and, and, is, and has an end of life where you see that, where you see that they've got these tools in place so that when physical pain comes up, they're dealing with physical pain. And actually they can deal with that through meditation, through breath work, through uh, hypnosis, through lots of other tools, listening to music, distraction, and last of all, they can, they can ask for some, they can have some medications that are helpful for that. Um, it's really amazing. But we don't want to think about death. Yeah, it sounds like the preventative measures, have a good life, you'll have a good death. Clean up today's Absolutely. messes, 
to worry about yeah and it's interesting when you're when you're talking about this i'm thinking also of dealing with somebody else's death you know clear up the unfinished business that you have with other people um my father passed away just a couple of weeks ago now and you know people are kind of approaching me tentatively they're expecting me to be you know miserable and and crying and heartbroken um, but the week before my father passed, I actually did sort of a meditative saying goodbye to him where I, you know, thanked him for things he'd done for me and for being a good grandfather to my son and just kind of said that I was ready to let him go. And we'd done a little bit of this in person a number of years back. And I feel like having cleaned up the unfinished business in our relationship is what's enabled me to go peacefully so I, I really like that, you know, take care of the stuff that needs to be taken care of. Don't be so focused on our day-to-day that we aren't looking at those, you know, deeper nudges that we're getting to take care of the important stuff. Now, we are down to a minute. That just flew by. I may need to bring you back for part three and four and five. Um, I'm wondering if you could just let us know how people can reach you. Uh, I know you're at Monarch Transwork. Beautiful website, by the way. But uh, and how else can people reach you? Do you have an email or a phone number that you can hand out? Uh, absolutely. Uh, my telephone number is two five zero six four two seven nine three six, and my email is eshu e s h u at monarchtranswork no s dot com. Perfect. Thank you so much I'm also, for it's coming also on Facebook. So. Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> Thanks for coming on and chatting with us today, Eshu. I really appreciate your input. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Great. Take care. Okay, take one. <laughs> with correction with Campbell. 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 The, the, okay. Get your black belt in all things hypnotherapy and never blood. <laughs> 